And this morning, I want to start with a story. It's a story of a wealthy man who was a British noble, and he had a mansion. And one morning, as he came down for breakfast, he overheard his cook make this statement. If I only had a five-pound note, I would be content. Now, five pounds back then was a lot of money. And so he walked in and he thanked her for the kind of job she'd been doing and how good a job she had done. And he handed her a five-pound note and she thanked him profusely. And then as he stepped out, he waited outside the door to see if she would give thanks to God. And here's what she said. I should have asked for a 10. You ever been there? Whether it was something that you really wished that you could have, and the moment that you got it, you wanted more. You see, today we're going to be looking at contentment, and the question is, what is contentment? Have you ever really, truly been content in your life? Has there ever been a time for more than five minutes where you really, truly had that satisfaction of the soul where you were completely content. You see, this weekend, as we conclude our series, Joy in the Journey in the book of Philippians, as we look at the very last message, Paul is going to reveal the secret to contentment. Why do you and I need to live content lives? Because as Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And when you and I throw contentment out the window, we trade gain for greed. In the place of contentment, we have coveting. There are these constant wants in our life instead of you and I focused on the will of God. And we end up living these miserable lives chasing after this idea of contentment. And the question that I want to pose to us this weekend is this. What if contentment has absolutely nothing to do with our current circumstance, with our physical circumstances? what we have, where we live, what we do in this life. You see, my prayer is that we won't just learn the secret of contentment. We won't just see it. But we will show it and share it with those around us through the way that we live. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Philippians 4.10, Now I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on to Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. 
I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They're a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each one of God's holy people. All who belong to Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's here that Paul reveals that our contentment is tied to our spiritual realities, not our physical circumstances. And Paul gives you and I three spiritual realities that if we would place our trust in them, that we would live content lives. You see, the first spiritual reality is this, that contentment comes from trusting in the unlimited power of God. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now before we unpack the power of that verse, I want to make a couple of observations. The first is this, that contentment doesn't come naturally. Now you know that, and I know that. We've lived long enough, right? But we still seem to think that we should just somehow magically have this contentment. That it's just some natural thing that comes into our life. But do you notice what Paul says here? I have learned to be content. Contentment's something that we've got to learn. Contentment is one of the things that is the most praised and the least practiced of all of the aspects of life. Now, we know that we have to practice things, right? Doctors practice medicine. What good would it be if a doctor went to medical school, learned all about it, and never ever put it into practice? Lawyers practice law. Musicians practice instruments. The people that got up and and led us in worship today, our worship team, they didn't just get up here and wing it. They practice. And you and I are called as Christians to practice contentment. Now, here's the good news. The good news is this, that life will give you lots of lessons and opportunities to put that practice of contentment into practice in your life. Because you and I are going to have lots of different situations, even this coming week, even today, where we can practice contentment. But have you noticed that the world and the wicked one, our enemy Satan, wants to bring a message that is contradictory when it comes to contentment? You see, the world and the wicked one want you to believe that rather than what Paul teaches here in Scripture, that contentment is tied to Christ, they want you to believe that your contentment is tied to your circumstances. Why? Because then you will chase after contentment instead of chasing after Jesus Christ. And most of us today, we're chasing after the tail of the donkey, not riding the donkey. 
Now, the world wants you to believe that your contentment is tied up in people, positions, and possessions. How many of us have believed the lie, if I just had the right people, I could be content, the right people in my life? If I ran in the right social circles, if I was married to the right person, I could be content in my marriage. There's an epidemic of divorce in the church. Why? Because we've confused contentment with happiness today. And there are many of us that are believing if I just was married to the right person, I would be content. And we're making it about a person instead of the power of Jesus Christ. What about positions? I mean, if I just had the right job, I could be content. Do you realize that as a nation, we are at an all-time, almost epidemic proportions of switching jobs? Now, there are times where God calls us to different ministries. God calls us to different jobs. I get that. I understand that. But we're at a place today where we're just constantly switching vocations and jobs. I'm going to go work for them. That didn't work out. I'm going to go work here. I'm going to work here. And a lot of the change has very little to do with Christ, and it has a lot to do with a lack of contentment in our life. I have a family heirloom with me today. This is a silver rose bowl. Not the rose bowl. That's just cheap. This is the real deal. The reason it's called a rose bowl is because there is this mesh on top where you would cut your flowers, you'd pour water, and you would place and arrange those roses. But here's what's significant about this. By the way, um, this is actually solid silver. It's not silver plate. Solid silver. This was given to my great-grandfather, Christopher Hargreaves Cunliffe, in 1958 when he retired from the company that he worked at. He started working for them in 1908, 50 years of service, same company. Now, I'm not saying that we have to work for the same place or the same people our whole lives, but I am saying that there has been a dramatic shift in the culture to where we are chasing after contentment today instead of after Christ because we believe that we can find it in a position. What about possessions? You ever just gone for a drive around our area and counted up how many storage units we have? You should do it sometime. You'll be shocked. I've often wondered... What all's in there? I mean, how much stuff do we really need? We're at a place for many of us that we can't park our expensive vehicle in the garage because it's full of junk. Stuff that we couldn't fit in our house because we had to upgrade and we moved all of that stuff into the garage and truthfully really don't know what's in there. And we're buying into the belief today that possessions or stuff will somehow satisfy and bring contentment into our life. And it's gotten really, really hard. Because it used to be that you had to save up and wait to buy something. And then we came out with credit. You don't got to wait for anything, right? Just go into debt. And now it's to the point where we've got two-day free shipping pretty much anywhere. Supposedly. 
unless you live where we live. And then there's always a, your package is delayed, right? But what happens? We get on there. Ah, oh, i got to have that. I'd be content. Click. Buy. 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 Consume. Consume. Can I tell you something? Consuming has nothing to do with contentment. But that's what we're buying into today, and we've so changed the American dream from what it was really intended to be tied to a relationship with our Creator, God the Father. Can I share a principle I implemented in my life many moons ago when I was a young man? Here's what it was. If all of my financial responsibilities were met, my tithe to the Lord, my responsibility to government and my country, my responsibility to my family, if all of the financial needs were met and there was some money left over that could be spent, if there was something that I really had to have, I just just got to have it. You know, you get that, you see it, oh, you think about it. I could buy it. I only put one stipulation on myself. I had to wait three weeks. That's it. 21 days. I can wait 21 days. You know what always amazed me? Within three weeks, one of two things happened. Either there was a financial obligation I was not aware of, like a hot water heater going out, you know, that stuff that happens called life. Or more often than not, it was the second thing. I found something else that I wanted more than the first time. And so what I do, now i got to wait three weeks on that. And I think we need those kinds of principles built into our life, especially in the day and age where we can just get online on our phone no matter where we're at and just say, buy, buy, buy. Because contentment has nothing to do with consuming. Paul says it has everything to do with Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see here is Paul is not preaching principles of contentment. He is practicing contentment. And he's not preaching principles from a comfortable palace. He's practicing them in prison. And many of us have bought into the lie that if I could be comfortable, then I could be content. But Paul is not in a comfortable place in his life. In not very long of a time, Paul is going to be beheaded. He's under house arrest. He's, he's lost his freedom. One of the things that we value the most, and yet he's still content. And what I want you to see here is the power of a contented life to influence and impact the people around us. Because you notice some of the people from God's house that send greetings to the church in Philippi? It's God's people who live in Caesar's palace. You ever read that before and said, wow, people in Caesar's palace were getting saved. How? How in the world could the gospel penetrate the heart of Rome? And we're talking Nero. We're talking the guy who absolutely hated Christians. Put them into arenas and let lions eat them alive for fun and for entertainment. Burned them alive. And yet, people in his own palace were becoming saved. Christians, how? Because the same thing that was going on in Rome is the same thing that's going on in America today. We are still 
the world superpower. That's exactly where Rome was at. And Rome decided to use that power to consume and to chase after happiness instead of contentment. And so they believed 2,000 years ago exactly what we believe today. If I got the right people, if I've got the right uh, position and the right possessions, I will be content. And then they saw Paul. Paul didn't have no people. (laughs) Paul had no position. He, He was a preacher in name only. He didn't even have a church, so to speak. He didn't have a pulpit. He had a prison. Possessions? It was whatever the churches scraped together to bring him. He had nothing. And he was content. And to these people who had bought into this consuming mentality in Rome and were not content in their hearts and were chasing after more people and more possessions and more positions, they looked over and they're like, here's Paul. He has nothing from the world's perspective, from the American perspective, from the Roman perspective. He has nothing and he is a complete failure and yet he's content. Paul, I want what you've got. What do you have? Because I'm missing something. I've got everything and you've got nothing and you're still content. Paul, what do you have? I've got Jesus. Do you see how a contented life becomes one of the most powerful tools of evangelism to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people? But you see, we have confused happiness with contentment. Let me tell you a couple things about Happiness and contentment. Happiness is based on your feelings. Contentment is based on your faith. Happiness is based on the external. Contentment is based on the eternal. You see, every one of us has a framework from which we do life. And inside of that framework is the picture that we build. Just like... This one. And the question becomes this. What is going to be the picture? The thing that I focus on, that I build the framework of my life around. Because the truth is, every one of you have a picture. And that picture determines your daily decisions. Every single day you get up. And this is your focus, and you're building the framework of your life around it, all of your values. And what many of us are doing today is the picture that we have is our circumstances. And so we are building a framework around our circumstances, and all of our focus becomes on our circumstances. And so what we're chasing after is our circumstances, and if we have the right circumstances, then we can be content. Let me show you Paul's focus. Here was the picture of Paul's life. This is a picture of Jesus knocking at the door. And we always think of this in salvation terms, and there is a salvation picture to this. But you see, Jesus doesn't just want to be your friend on Sundays, but on Mondays and every day. He wants to come into every area of your home. And for many of us, we've, we've got like the living room. Jesus, you're a guest in my life and you're allowed in the living room, but, but I'm not comfortable with you in the other areas of my life. But you see, here's the thing. For Paul, 
the focus of his life was Jesus Christ. Therefore, he built the framework around what? Around Christ. And if you and I want to experience contentment, Paul says, here's the secret. Stop chasing after contentment and start chasing after Jesus Christ. You see, it's here that you and I have to deal with a little bit of a difficult subject that if we don't deal with that subject, we will be in danger of deceiving ourselves and we will also be in danger of becoming discouraged as believers in Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever memorized or know this verse, Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Anyone? And keep your hand up for a moment, and, and yep, you, you have permission to get super charismatic this morning. There's a reason we don't get charismatic. It's exhausting. It's hard to hold your hand up, right? But most of us are very familiar with this verse. Like, it's kind of like John 3.16. Keep your hand up for a moment here. A little exercise good for you. Now, keep your hand up if you can answer truthfully the second part of this. Prior to me reading the verses today, how many of you remembered or have memorized verses 10, 11, 12, and 13? It's kind of what I figured. Because that's what I've done a lot in my life too. See, here I have a verse. Love it. We hang it up in our home. We claim it all the time. We love this verse. Now, why did I ask you if you knew this not just as verse 13, but as 10, 11, 12, and 13. Because I asked you this question, do you know it in context? Why does that matter? Because context is king. And what is the context here? It's contentment. And most of us have missed this. We have taken a verse completely out of context to mean something that it didn't mean. Can I remind you that Philippians 4.13 has everything to do with contentment and nothing to do with conquering. And we have made this the victory verse. Paul was not saying, I can accomplish more, I can do. He was not talking about doing, he was talking about being. Bernard Williams said, we may pass violets looking for roses and we may pass contentment looking for victory. Can I share something with you that we need to know today in the church? Jesus never promised that we could do everything. In fact, Jesus never even said he would help us do everything. Because if we're honest this morning, there's some of you in here, you're golfers, you're pretty good. But you're never going to golf like Tiger Woods golfed. Okay? You're not going to be able to claim the verse, I can do all things like golf like Tiger Woods through Christ's strength. I doubt there's any of us in here that could do a 360 slam dunk unless maybe we incorporated a trampoline and an ambulance. I can do all things. No, you can't. Jesus didn't promise that. Now, I'm pretty sure you could run fast if a tiger was after you. 
you'd probably still be food, fast food, but you'd be food. But you're not going to run like Usain Bolt ran. You're not going to hit that 103 mile per hour fastball out of the park because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Do you see what we've done with this verse? You're not going to run a three minute, 45 second mile. I think that's the current world record. I'm getting close to that. I think I'm like it, I don't know, like nine minutes or something. No, I'm just kidding. But do you see what we've done with this verse? We've taken it completely out of context to mean things it never intended to mean. And we're trying to accomplish things and we're taking God's power and we're trying to use it to something that he never intended. So what in the world did Paul mean by I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? I can do means I can handle. All things is every circumstance, every situation we come across. So here's what Paul is saying. Because what I want you to understand is Philippians 4.13. What he says there is exactly what he said in 4.12, 4.11, and 4.10. And any time you and I take a scripture out of context to where it doesn't fit with the rest of the scriptures and we've got to throw away a whole bunch of the Bible, we have deceived ourselves and it's not going to be long before we become discouraged. And the devil loves for us to be deceived when it comes to God's word. And it happens in so many subtle ways. And I am a big proponent of you and I memorizing Scripture, but we've got to memorize the context. Otherwise, we will take Scripture to mean what we want it to mean. We will deceive ourselves and discourage ourselves. So here's what Paul was saying. I can do full. I can do hungry. I would rather do full, but I can do hungry. I can do free. I can do prison. I'd rather do free, but I can do prison. I can do friends. I can do lonely. I would rather do friends, but I can do lonely. I can do well-dressed. I can do naked. I, I would rather do well-dressed. You'd probably, I'd rather do well-dressed, but I can do naked. Do you see the difference of what this verse really means in our life? And here's the thing. This is incredibly important for you and I. We have got to learn to be content. Now, about 11 years before this, Paul found himself beaten and bloodied in a Philippian jail cell. Three converts, three people had come to Christ in Philippi. From a missionary standpoint, this would have been probably something that we would have chalked up as a failure. Went to start a church. Only three people accepted Christ. Three radically different people. There was, at that point, only two. A wealthy merchant woman named Lydia and a former demon-possessed slave girl. I got two women to show Oh, and a whole bunch of beatings. And what was Paul doing in prison in Philippi? Praising Jesus. Why? Because he was content because he based his contentment on Christ, not on his circumstances. And because of that contentment, we saw the power of God to what? We get so wrapped up in the power that blew open the jail cells and they could have been free. And it wasn't what the power was about, people. The power was about the jailer coming to salvation. That's the real 
power and miracle of that story. And how did it happen? Because a man understood that contentment is tied to Jesus Christ. Now where is he? Almost a decade later, he is in prison in Rome. And people are coming to Christ. Why? Power of contentment in your life. But see, we're making it about our circumstances. I can do more. I can accomplish things. I can push my way out of this. But what if the power isn't just so your circumstances can change, but so that people can come to Jesus Christ? You see, it's here that you and I see that contentment not only comes when we trust in the unlimited power of God, but also in the unchanging promise of God. And what is that promise? That he will meet some of your needs, most of your needs. What does the scripture actually say? Jesus is going to meet what? That kind of sounded a little weak. Jesus is going to meet what? Yeah, all of your needs. How? Through the riches of Christ, right? Now, do you notice something here? Jesus is going to meet your needs, not your greeds. And most of us today, we are going to Jesus with a wish list, not a need list. And we're making it all about our wants and not about his will. Erskine Mason said this, Bless God for what you have. Trust God for what you need. If you cannot bring your condition to your mind, then bring your mind to your condition. For if a man is not content in the state he is in, then he will not be content in the state that he would be in. And most of us are believing today, if my, if my situation just changed, it has very little to do with your situation. It has everything to do with your Savior and your Savior meeting your needs. So what are your needs? Well, let's talk about some of your needs, your core needs. Your need to be forgiven. Did Jesus Christ meet that need on the cross of Calvary? But we so overlook that, don't we? Can I ask you, do you still need to be forgiven? Did you sin this week or did you have a perfect week? I had a sin week this week. Every week I need the forgiveness of God. I need, not I'd like, I need the forgiveness of God. What about being loved? Do you have a need to be loved? Every one of us have a core need to be loved and a core need to belong. Even the hell's angels formed a a group because they want to form some kind of a semblance of family. It's been put into our heart. We're now part of the family of God, right? We're loved. We're cherished no matter what. We're children of the Most High King. And as you think about the real core needs of your life that can't be met at some store or some online click, that can only be met through Jesus Christ, you and I ought to be giving thanks for that. Because if we unpack the rest of 1 Timothy 6.6, verses 7 and 8 say this, after it says in 6.6, 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain, it says, for we brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of this world. Everything in your storage unit stays. Everything in your house Every single thing that is a possession, you came in with nothing, you leave with nothing when it comes to the things of this world. What if you and I would really grab a hold of that and suddenly realize, I don't have to chase after contentment, I just have to chase after Jesus Christ. How much would that free up your life? 
But see, all of a sudden, the neighbors get something. There's a truck that shows up, and we find out they're remodeling their kitchen. Well, I want my kitchen remodeled. I'm not content now. Well, they got a new car. Or so-and-so got a new phone, or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, we've got to have those things, so we start chasing after those things. How much of our life would be simpler, and how much more time would we have to spend on the people around us if we would learn to live content lives? Pastors, I want to preach to you for a moment because here's the thing. There are many of you in your ministry where you're not content. Where you have tied your contentment to your ministry instead of to the Messiah. And so here's what's happening. Man, if I, if I just had the church so-and-so had. And here's what's happening for many of us today. Pastors and parishioners alike, we're believing the grass is greener on the other side. Now, you need to understand, sometimes the reason the grass is greener on the other side, it's grown over the septic tank. And you're going to jump out of what you think is a lack of contentment into a real mess. You and I need to find our contentment in Christ, not in our circumstances. So let me give you a couple of practical ways that you and I can learn to live content lives. Number one, stop comparing yourself to other people. Comparison is the cancer of contentment. And have you noticed when we're not content, when there's this discontent uh, heart in our life, we always compare ourselves to people that have more, right? We never go the other way and compare to people that have less. You know, if we would do that, if you're going to do any kind of comparison, when I'm in that spot where I'm feeling like, man, I, I wish I had, I wish I had, and I go, go just go to the hospital. Just go pray with people at the hospital. You have time after work. You can show up. Hey, do you mind if I come pray with you? And you know what all of a sudden happens? You're like, you walk out and you're like, man, I, I really don't have the problems I thought I had. But here's what we're doing today. We're comparing ourselves to someone that has more. They've got a nicer car, a nicer house. They've got their kids appear to be better. Whatever it is from our perspective, and we're comparing, and it's creating a lack of contentment. And we're comparing everything, marriages, clothes, education. Stop comparing. Second, learn to accept people as they are, not as you want them to be. This is a big one. You make yourself and everybody around you miserable when you try to change everybody to be the person that you want them to be so you can be content. And some of you, you have marriages of misery, and here's why. Because you have been for 20 years trying to change your spouse. Now, here's the crazy part about that. We all try to change people because we have a perspective like we know what they're supposed to look like, right? Who's the one that does the changing? It is Jesus Christ. Can you allow the Holy Spirit to do the Holy Spirit's job? Here's the thing. When you and I look at our spouse and we say we need to change them from our perspective, here's what we're really saying. God, when you created my spouse, you messed up in a monumental way. But don't worry, God, I can fix your mistakes. Okay, you haven't spoken a twig into existence yet. You have not created anything out of nothing. You're not God, and God didn't make a mistake when he created your spouse. Can I ask you, when do people typically change? When we accept them and love them as they are. 
And this is the biggest rub in the church today because here's what we're doing. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't just accept. I'm not talking about accepting sin. I'm talking about loving sinners. Because when did God accept me? When did God love me? Was it when I changed? No, I can't change on my own. I need Christ. The Bible says that while I was still the biggest scumbag on the planet, God loved me and that he sent Jesus Christ to die for me. And when you love the people around you as they are, I guarantee you they're going to want to change. Last thing that I would share with you on how to help to be content is accept things the way they are, not the way that you would like them to be. And this is a tough one because we all like to change our circumstances. But can I ask you, did Christ come to change your circumstance or to change you? You see, we have spent so much time in the church trying to change our circumstances instead of allowing Jesus Christ to change us. And I would bet that most of us in the church are fighting more to change our country than we are to allow Jesus Christ to change us. Some of us, truthfully, we've been saved for quite a long time, but we still act like little children. Why? Why do we throw temper tantrums when things don't go away? Because we've spent the majority of our time trying to change the people around us and trying to change our circumstances to fit us like we're the center of the universe instead of allowing Jesus Christ to change us. Now, do you notice here how God meets the needs of Paul? Through his unlimited, glorious riches in Jesus Christ. And what is that? His people. You see, this brings us to the final spiritual reality of contentment. Contentment is found, number three, when you and I live to give God the glory instead of get the glory. Paul teaches us an amazing truth here on giving. And this is the truth, that it is a gift from God and it is a gift to God. And here's where you and I hijack giving God the glory. Wait a minute, Paul. I sacrificed as a person in this Philippian church. And you need to know this gift came from me. And what's Paul saying? No, this is a gift from God. No, 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 Paul. I was the one that worked hard. You, you don't understand. All those shekels in the bag, those were mine. I need credit for this gift that I gave to you, Paul. Because really, the reason I gave the gift is I want a little recognition. Can I get some glory? Please, can I get some glory? See, that's how the Pharisees gave. But can I ask you this question? Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the ability to earn that money? God did, right? Where's the gift coming from? It's a gift from God and it's a gift to God. Here's the thing about giving. It affects both the receiver and the giver. The receiver receives and is blessed by the gift, the gift from God. And therefore, God gets the credit and the glory. But the giver is blessed Because this is a gift where God gets the glory and treasure is stored up in heaven. So let me ask you this question when it comes to contentment and God meeting your needs. Are you content or are you complaining about how God's meeting your current needs? When was the last time you thanked him for meeting your core heart needs? Because here's the thing. 
when you and I live content lives, we're freed up to not only see the needs in other people's lives, but to meet them so that it becomes a gift from God to God. Now, most of you are fully aware of what has been going on in our state, especially the other end of the state and the disaster there. And I want to put up a picture here. This is just one of many pictures of homes and businesses that are flooded. And in the bottom left corner is a logo that we have come up with. And you're going to see this logo. Spread the love from west to east. Now we always talk about taxes go the whole state. Representation kind of ends at Kearney, right? We talk about that a lot. But love needs to go the whole way. And we have an opportunity to be able to bless. And here's what I want you to know. For the last about eight, nine days, I have been on the phone. It feels like that's all I've been doing. Because I've been trying to figure out how, as a congregation, we can give a gift from God and to God to bless people in our state. To where 100% of what we give goes to those that have need. There's no administration cost involved. And in a moment, as you come up and take communion, you are going to be reminded of your core needs that Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, met. But as you take communion, on the table is one of these little from spread the love from west to east papers. And on here is a detailed list. I'm going to share that with you now, but don't feel like you've got to furiously write this down. It's right here for you, okay? Maybe you know somebody that doesn't attend our church that's been like, man, how do we help? You can take them one of these. The first is the Plattsmouth uh, Berean Bible Church, and that's Mike Wolf, good friend of mine, Pastor Mike. I called him, and I said, Mike, what if you guys were to feed first responders and volunteers that came into your community? And they're a church of about 150. And he's like, we could mobilize and do that. But the challenge becomes the cost of the food. And I said, what if we come alongside of you and, and we collect bottled water, we collect bug spray, because guess what? A lot of water that's not lost. going to be a lot of mosquitoes for those volunteers and helpers. And what if you set up a tent in town and you just fed people and prayed for people and encouraged people and shared the gospel with people? And he said, we'd love to do it. I said, we want to partner with you. And so you can bring bottled water here. You can bring bug spray. And if you want to give financially, just put in the memo or on the envelope that you put the cash in, Put Plattsmouth Bible Church, and we'll know that that's where that goes. Also with that, if you've got like one of those food trailer deals and you, you want to go help or be a part of that, you're welcome to. If you just want to go volunteer, get a hold of me, and we'll get you connected with Mike, and we'll make that happen. Second thing that we're going to do is with a crisis pregnancy center in Fremont. Uh, they just opened up. I mean, Fremont's been cut off for couple of weeks now. And that crisis pregnancy center has an incredible need for all kinds of baby supplies, diapers, all of it's listed here. One of the gals that they were helping had an emergency C-section the same day that her home was flooded and ruined. And there's incredible need there. And the beauty of this is that this is a need that is an ongoing need that they're always going to be able to use. So if we take a whole truckload of diapers down to them and they can't use them all right away they will use them over time now we could get on amazon and just get the address and send them to them and that'd be nice and simple and and easy but there's a couple of reasons why i want us to go purchase them and bring them here 
And one is something happens when we do something physical because we tend to get that bag of diapers and we're going to pray over that for the mom that's going to receive that, the kids that are going to be wearing those. The other thing that happens is that money gets spent in our state, which is desperately in need right now. But maybe a greater reason is because when we show up in people's lives, even though it's not convenient, even though maybe it's not the best financial way to do it, it makes an incredible impact. I have driven to Denver seven hours there and back to pray for someone for 15 minutes. Could have done it on the phone. But I know this, when you show up in people's lives, it makes a difference when you do that. Now, here's how we're going to do the uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center, which is a pro-life center. Uh, We're going to do that through our Berean Church in Fremont. Here's why. They're there all the time. We're going to collect all the stuff. We're going to take it to the Fremont Berean Church, and they are going to be the ones that bless that Crisis Pregnancy Center. Last thing that we have an opportunity to do is to serve those who serve us. It's a group of people that we don't think about a whole lot until they pull us over, State Patrol. And when they do, we're typically annoyed. We typically don't appreciate them. We typically have all the excuses of why they're just making our life miserable. But they're not. And they're not just doing a job. They're doing a service. They're keeping us safe. We had three of our state troopers at the other end of the state have their basements flooded out. One of them, two weeks before his house was flooded, his house caught fire. Talk about having a bad month. Your house is on fire, now it's flooded. You see, you and I know that we all have hard jobs, right? Some of you, you have to deal with some, some pretty angry people. I get hate mail every once in a while, emails from people that are upset about something I said or did or didn't do or didn't say. But I don't wear a bulletproof vest to work. Maybe that day's coming. I don't know. But every single day they get up and they go to work and they don't know, when I come home, am I coming home? When I leave home and I kiss my wife and kids, is this the last hug, the last kiss? Do you know what those three officers did when their basements were flooded? They got in the patrol cars, they left, and they went and served their community. They didn't deal with their mess. They dealt with our mess. And I had the privilege this week of praying with the gal who is a part of the Trooper Association to be able to help with these kinds of situations and just say, hey, Tara, what can I pray for? And we prayed on the phone together. It was an amazing time of prayer. But 100% of what we give to those troopers will go split 100% between those three troopers. And if you want to give financially to that, in the memo, just put disaster relief and we'll know that it goes to them. But we have this incredible opportunity. Do you realize how amazing of a church we have, how blessed we are as a body of believers? What if we would learn to walk in contentment because we're chasing after Christ and we're freed up to serve the people around us? You don't have to be a member or partner to take communion. We just ask that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and when you're ready, you come. Father, we pray that as we get ready to come to the table, that you would remind us of the incredible needs that you've met in our life. And God, as we look at this list of needs on a table, help us to realize that these are real people that are hurting. And Father, I know down the road as these supplies come into our church that that we're going to need a truck and trailer, and maybe we're going to need more than that. I pray we need more than that. 
But God, would you supply those needs as well so that we can go and be a blessing, that the gift can be a gift from God and to God. For we pray these things in your name. Amen.